This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. The nature of Israel. Um, we want to, to talk really this afternoon about um, Israel as the Bible sees them. And so we're going to look um, at, at Israel in, in the past, in biblical history, um, and we'll use that really as, as a foundation. We'll learn what, what the Bible has to say about kind of the way that Israel operated um, in the past. Um, and we will use that then to think about um, more modern history um, and the fate of the nation of Israel um, in the last hundred years or so. And then we'll springboard forward and again see what, what the Bible has to say about the future um, of the people of Israel. Um, and so we'll take a, a broad sweep um, from a few thousand years ago right through till um, what we expect to come to, to pass shortly. Um, it goes... Uh, at the outset that we um, do not have any political opinions uh, and perhaps that will become evident as we go through this um, we uh, are simply seeking to present what the Bible has to say uh, about um, the facts of uh, the way in which the nation of Israel um, exists and have continued to exist over um, several thousand years um, contrary to all human expectations um, so come with me, let's, let's look at the origins of the people of, of Israel. Who are they? Um, where did they come from? Um, in order to do that, we need to go back um, to the book of Genesis, right to the beginning of the Bible, please, um, to Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, um, we meet um, a great character of faith from the Old Testament, a man named Abraham, although he's not called Abraham yet, he's called Abram. He's to have his name changed a little later on. And in Genesis chapter 12, God appears to Abraham. Um, he's living in, in Ur of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia, in modern-day Iraq. Um, and God calls him to come um, to a, a land that God's going to tell him about, to leave the land where he was born, the land where he grew up, and to come to this new place that God is going to tell him about. So Genesis chapter 12 and, and verse 1. The Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And if Abraham does this, then there's a promise for him. Verse 2. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. Now shall be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Um, so Abraham was going to be made a great man and as part of that um, a, a nation was going to come from him he was going to have a, a great many descendants who were going to become a great nation was the promise that God gave him if, if he obeyed um, and so Abraham does we learn from the record that, that Abraham um, leaves the land uh, of his nativity and he goes um, to the land that God shows him um, come with me down to, to verse 5 please Abraham took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan and into the land of Canaan they came 
Um, and once they arrive there, then uh, in, in verse 7, God appears to Abraham again and says, um, you know, you've done what I asked, you've come to the land. And so God makes more promises to, to Abraham. Um, so Abraham has arrived in the land of Canaan, um, which is now uh, no longer a place. We no longer have a, a place, if you look on the world map, called Canaan. Um, but it is um, the area in which we now have the state of Israel. Um, and the Palestinian state. It is um, that small strip uh, on the Mediterranean coast that joins um, from, from Egypt um, and from Africa to Asia. Um, so it's there, um, the land of Canaan, the land that we now call Israel or Palestine, um, that Abraham is sent to. Um, and Abraham spends his life as a nomad. Uh, he lives in, in tents and he wanders this land. Um, and as part of these promises that Abraham's given, he's promised a son. Um, now, Abraham and his wife have had difficulty conceiving. It seems that, that Sarah was, was barren. Um, uh, and when Abraham is very old uh, and should really be unable to have a son, then, then they do in response um, to their faith. God gives them a son. And let's just go to Genesis chapter 21 and read about that. Um, just come forward a little bit. After... A great many years of putting his trust in God, then Abraham's faith is rewarded. Um, Genesis chapter 21 and verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived, and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Um, that as a result of the faith of this man and, uh, and of his wife, then God intervenes um, and, uh, uh, and their barrenness is is taken away and they have a son um, and verse 3 Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him whom Sarah bare to him Isaac um, and Isaac leads a life very similar to his father he grows up and he too is a nomad um, he lives in tents and he wanders in um, the land of Canaan the land of Israel um, and Isaac has a son a little later on um, called Jacob and we're going to read about Jacob now Jacob um, please come to chapter 32 of Genesis as part of the course of events in Jacob's life Jacob has, has upset his brother um, and has had to flee um, and has spent a long time in in Haran which is up in kind of modern day northern Syria or, or southern Turkey and again, after intervention from God in, in Jacob's life, he is um, coming back to this land where Abraham and Isaac um, spent their lives. And we meet Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, coming back into the land, um, worrying really about uh, the way in which his brother is going to receive him. He's, uh, as I said, he, he fled um, the land because of this feud that uh, with his brother. And so he's concerned about... Uh, about what's going to happen when they meet um, and as he is pondering this as he's um, concerned about this then in Genesis chapter 32 um, something happens come to come to verse 24 Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day and he saw that he prevailed. Sorry, and when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Uh, and Jacob said, "Let me go, for the day breaketh." 
And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And so this seems a bit of a random encounter. What's being described here? Well, keep a finger in Genesis chapter 32 and just come over with me into the Minor Prophets, please, to, to Hosea. Because Hosea gives us some commentary on this and fills in um, some of the blanks. Hosea chapter 12 talks about Jacob. Um, and Jacob's experience, particularly there that we read about in chapter 32. If, uh, Hosea chapter 12 and verse 2. The Lord hath a controversy with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways. According to his doings will he recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb. Uh, and that's something we, we read about Jacob earlier on in Genesis. Um, and by his strength he had power with God. And that's a reference to, to the words of, of the man that we read about in Genesis chapter 32, verse 4. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. And so um, Hosea tells us that, that Jacob wasn't wrestling with a man at all um, in Genesis chapter 32. Although it looked like a man, um, Jacob's actually wrestling with an angel in those verses that we read. He had power over the angel and he prevailed. Uh, and that maybe wasn't entirely clear from Genesis chapter 32. But Jacob was, was winning this wrestling. Uh, and as a result of the way in which um, Jacob was overpowering him, then this angel uses um, his power um, to put the hollow of Jacob's thigh out of joint and so incapacitate Jacob. Uh, yea, uh, so coming back to Hosea chapter 12 and verse 4, he had power over the angel and prevailed. Um, and verse 3 had said he had power with God. Uh, and so that gives us a little bit more of an explanation of what's going on if we come back to Genesis chapter 32. Because it is an angel that, that Jacob has, has kind of uh, has been wrestling with. And in verse 28, the angel says to Jacob, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. Uh, and Israel means uh, a prince with God, or, or kind of it has the idea of one who has power with God. Um, for as a prince, he, he explains... Thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. And so Jacob has his name changed to, to Israel um, for this kind of rather cryptic reason that the angel explains that, that Jacob has overcome, has had power and prevailed. Um, and it's kind of a, a picture of, of Jacob's life, all through Jacob's life. He's been wrestling against um, kind of all of the things that have that have happened to him um, and he's kind of tried to resist the influence of God and, and God at every turn has been trying to help Jacob and uh, and work things out for him and now um, kind of Jacob is slowly learning that lesson uh, and the angel if you like incapacitates him to illustrate to Jacob you can't do everything yourself um, that just trust on God uh, and if you do that then you will be a, a prince with God you will overcome um, uh, but the reason we've, we've come here really is, is because uh, this is where he has his name changed to Israel. Um, uh, and Jacob, uh, or, or Israel as he's known from now on, um, is going to be the father of the nation called Israel, the Old Testament um, nation of Israel, who we read a lot about in, in the Bible. Um, but also 
the same modern nation of Israel that we see today in 2019. They are descended all from this man, Jacob. Jacob has um, 12 sons uh, who, uh, from whom come 12 tribes, um, and those tribes make up the nation of Israel. Uh, and um, a lot happens to, um, to the descendants of Jacob, but they, uh, after some some period in captivity in Egypt they um, are led by God out of Egypt and they come um, into the land of Canaan once again the land um, where God had taken Abraham um, and God gives them this land um, to be their land to be uh, the place of their kingdom um, in, in fulfillment at least in part of, of the promises that he'd made to Abraham that one of the things that God had promised Abraham was that his descendants would, would live in this land that he'd been taken to. Um, and so uh, the children of Israel live in this land of Canaan, this land that we, uh, we know as Israel today. Um, and they set up a kingdom and, and, and they have kings. Um, and a lot of, of the Old Testament is concerned with um, the history of this nation. Um, but this nation are, are a special people in God's sight. Let's just look at that. Come to the book of Deuteronomy with me, please where God makes it very clear that, that Israel are, are very special to him. First of all, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and, and verse 6. Thou art, this is, this is the man Moses now, one of God's servants, who's addressing the nation of Israel. And this is kind of before they come into the land. This is, um, they've been in captivity in Egypt and they're now on their way out from Egypt. They've wandered in the wilderness and now they're going to go into this land that God's promised to them, this land of Canaan, and they're going to make it their own. Um, uh, and God says to them in, in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, Thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. So God has, has specially selected this group of people. Um, they are, in a unique sense, his people. Um, uh, and his purpose is going to be worked out through them. Uh, and it's interesting, we might say, well, why? Why was it that um, God chose these people? You know, were they um, particularly uh, inclined to follow his will? Did they... Um, particularly follow God in a way that other nations just didn't seem to. Um, and it doesn't seem that's the case, does it? Um, verse 7 now. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. Uh, and we can read into that, I think. God says, you know, there was nothing special about you. Um, there wasn't any particular greatness about the nation of Israel that made God choose them. Because in verse 8, he tells us why he chose them. Verse 8, the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. The reason that God chose them was to do with, with who they came from that God chose these people because they were the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were the descendants of these great men of faith who loved God, uh, and God loved them and gave promises to these men. It says, verse 8 there, he'd sworn oaths to these men. He'd given promises to Abraham because Abraham was a man of faith. And so um, 
by, if you like, pure, pure accident of birth, Israel became the chosen people of God. Um, uh, and we know that at least in the short term, um, it didn't, uh, they, they didn't live up to that calling. Um, the whole, really, of, of the Old Testament, and the New as well, um, is the story of how Israel fell short of the standard that God set for them. Having chosen them as his, as his special people, um, then, uh, then God had particular requirements which he placed upon the nation. Uh, and all of the history and of the prophets, um, the prophetical sections of the Old Testament, spend a lot of time telling us about how far short of those standards Israel had fallen. And yet Israel retained this special place in, in God's sight. Just while we're in Deuteronomy, come over to, to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Because the Lord um, does not view time as we do. Um, he kind of knows the end from the beginning, he tells us elsewhere. He, he knows what's going to happen before it comes to pass. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 8, we read, When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Well, that verse appears to be telling us that... that um, the way in which the nations are structured, all the nations of the earth, the way in which kind of human history has played out um, has been orchestrated by God to revolve around the children of Israel, around this people that he'd chosen. Um, again, Deuteronomy 7 said, not because they were particularly good or, or particularly inclined to follow him, as their history shows, um, but because they were the people simply that God had chosen to be the ones through whom he would work, through whom he'd show his purpose come back to just while we're in Deuteronomy to chapter 28 because the Lord having chosen them and had set these special requirements upon the nation of Israel they were supposed to be if you like his representatives um, Deuteronomy chapter 28 uh, and verse 9 the Lord shall establish thee and holy people unto himself as he hath sworn unto thee if thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God and work in his ways and all people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. Uh, that everybody else was supposed to be able to look at this nation and see God there. They were supposed to be his representatives. Uh, and yet we see how often they, they fell short. But if you like, this was, this was God's people. This was God's kingdom there on earth. Uh, and in fact, we, we, we won't turn there, but there are numerous places where, where kind of they are referred to as, as God's kingdom. Uh, and the nation of Israel in the Old Testament um, is described as being the kingdom of God. The throne um, of the kingdom of Israel is described as being the throne of God. The kings are described as sitting on God's throne um, uh, and ruling in, in God's place. That This was God's kingdom. Um, uh, and the men who were set up over it were, um, were only doing so kind of as his representative. So... The nation, as we've said, was established and grew and had their ups and downs. But eventually, um, the wickedness of, uh, of Israel, the fact that they'd fallen so far short of the standards that God set, meant that God um, sent great empires, the Assyrians and the Babylonians, to, um, to invade and to, to take them captive and to take the people away um, in order that he could um, purge them of the wickedness which, which the nation had become so full of. 
uh, and so let's read a little bit about that. Let's come into the prophets now. Let's go to uh, Jeremiah, I think, please. Let's go to, to Jeremiah um, chapter 30. And in Jeremiah, um, we're reading uh, about the things that would, would happen to the nation. Um, and Jeremiah um, describes the way in which the nation of Israel are going to be taken away. In fact, when Jeremiah is writing, um, kind of these things are already starting to take place. The, the Assyrian Empire has already come down at this point and has taken away um, a, a large majority of, of the people. Um, and the Babylonians are in the process of, uh, of taking away the rest. Um, but the Lord says um, to, uh, to the people through Jeremiah in chapter 31 and verse 11, I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee. Though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee. Uh, but I will correct thee in measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. God says, you know, I... I'm going to take you and I'm going to scatter you into all these other nations that you're going to be um, taken away captive by the Assyrians and the, by the Babylonians and you're going to be scattered throughout. And we read a little bit later in, in the Bible and in secular history about the way that, that the Jews went out into Persia um, uh, and into Greece and were subjects of all the empires that, that came to dominate the Middle East. But God says here in, in Jeremiah chapter 30, you know, these people are not going to lose um, that special status. Although all of these other nations, God says, um, I, I will make a full end of. I will, I will eventually let them run their course and disappear. Um, I will not make a full end of thee. He says that, that Israel will continue to exist as a distinct people. And it is remarkable, isn't it, um, that you can't, any longer point to, to Babylonians or Assyrians um, or Romans or, or any of these people. None of those, those ancient peoples um, exist anymore. Um, and yet Israel um, still exists as a distinct people um, uh, and have always done so. Uh, and it's remarkable that that, that that is the case because God has said that it would be the case. God has said that this, this people will always have a role in his purpose, in his plan uh, and that's what he's telling us here through Jeremiah uh, uh, and in a number of places the Lord tells us very strikingly that um, come over for instance just into the next chapter into, into Jeremiah chapter 31 the Lord tells us just how how sure we can be that the nation of Israel will always be in existence or the people of Israel Jeremiah chapter 31 and and verse 35. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, so you know, if the sun and the moon stop, or um, the waves cease, God says, if those things depart from before me, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. You know, God says, I am... I am God the creator and the sustainer. Um, I make the sun rise and make it set again. I make the tides and make the waves. God says, 
if any of that ceases, if the only if the world is completely changed and no longer exists as we know it, um, i.e., it's an impossibility. God is saying, never will I allow for the nation of Israel to uh, be cast off, to be destroyed. Israel will always exist, God says, um, because they have a special role in his purpose. Again, we emphasize, not because they are particularly holy or good, um, but because God has selected them um, to have a particular role in his purpose. And, and that role that they have, that that place that they have in God's purpose brings us right up into modern history. Let's move into the second part of what we're going to think about now. Um, because they still fulfill that role today, although um, inadvertently, shall we say. Come back, well, we're in Jeremiah. Come to the, to the book before. Come to Isaiah, please. Isaiah chapter 43. Because we saw in Deuteronomy, didn't we, how um, the nation of Israel was supposed to, to be God's people and to show everybody that they were God's people. They were supposed to kind of show everybody God's purpose. And they were supposed to be actively doing it. They were supposed to be wanting to do it. Um, but actually, um, they fell short, as we've said. However, God says that even though that's the case, even though they, they didn't want to and, and they were trying to do their own thing, inadvertently... Israel still testify to God's plan and purpose. Come to Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 9. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say it is truth. So God puts out a call, puts out a challenge to, to all people across the world and says, look, um, if you... Uh, if you can show the things that God can show, if you can show the power that he can, um, then by all means, go, do your best. And of course, nobody can, can tell former things or, or things that are yet to come to pass as God can. Nobody can claim the creative power that God does. And, and God invites the people of the earth to, to call witnesses, to, to testify to their greatness. And then God says in verse 10... To the, addressing the nation of Israel again through the prophet. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. God says the nation of Israel, inadvertently though it may be, witness to him, to his existence and to his plan and purpose. Uh, he says that that these things that, that he has said in, in Jeremiah about the way that, that Israel would always exist, that they would never be broken up, they would never be dissimulated in, amongst all the other people like the other ancient, ancient peoples have. The way that that would never happen to Israel um, is evidence, says God, that, that he exists and that they are his people and that he is working with them still. Now, the nation of Israel eventually, after the New Testament times, um, were taken captive by the Romans. The Romans came and, uh, and removed Israel from being a, a nation entirely, um, and they destroyed the, the city of Jerusalem in, in AD 70, and they dispersed the people of Israel out into um, all the nations of the earth. And that situation remained um, for nearly 2,000 years. Now, if you're my generation, 
Um, you perhaps don't have as much of an appreciation of, of the fact that, that today, in 2019, there is a state um, called Israel. Um, there is a, a country recognised by the United, United Nations um, called Israel. Uh, and you might not appreciate that if you're my generation, because if you're my generation, that has always been the case as far as um, your experience is concerned. Um, you know, in my experience, there has always been a nation of Israel, just as there has always been you know, uh, a nation of England um, or the United States of America. Um, but of course, all of these nations have come into existence at different times, and there are people that you can go and speak to alive today who remember a time before there was a nation of Israel, who remember a time when, when there were just pockets of Jews scattered throughout all the world, um, living hither and thither, um, and not having their own state. And that situation appeared to contradict the words of the Lord through Jeremiah and, and through, through Isaiah, um, that it looked like the Jews had just been dissimulated and, and had been lost. Um, but God told us that, that eventually, after a long period of, uh, uh, of time, kind of scattered amongst all the nations, God had said that, that they would be regathered. Um, come to the prophecy of Ezekiel, please. Ezekiel and chapter 37. Because in this chapter, um, God describes the process by which um, the nation of Israel would become a nation again. The process by which Israel uh, would become a political reality once more. Ezekiel chapter 37 uh, and verse 1 just will give some context. Um, the prophet says that the hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me in the midst of the valley which was full of dry bones. So Ezekiel is going to describe for us this vision that he sees. Um, uh, and he sees in this vision a valley full of very dry bones. Verse 2, he caused me to pass by them round about. Behold, there were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. These were not fresh bones from a fresh carcass. These are bones that had, uh, that had lain on the ground for a long time. They were dry. Uh, and then verse 3, he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? Uh, and humanly, of course, it's impossible. Um, you can't take a skeleton that has been uh, without the rest of the body for, for a long time and the bones have gone completely dry you can't take that and make it a, a living creature once more but in the vision the Lord says to Ezekiel in verse 4 prophesy upon these bones and say unto them O ye dry bones hear the word of the Lord thus saith the Lord God unto these bones behold I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, sinews and flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. And so God is saying to, uh, to Ezekiel, you know, I am going to do something, 
uh, and Ezekiel is being shown a picture of the nation of Israel. Um, the, the nation have, have been without a country, without a place for um, thousands of years. That they are as bones which are very dry. Um, uh, and humanly speaking, there was no way in which um, that people could have continued to exist. Um, and yet through the way in which the Lord God directs human affairs, um, the Lord brought about a situation where um, the nation of Israel became a nation once more, stood upon their feet. Um, the, the bones, the very dry bones, um, were made to stand uh, and the nation was made into a nation once more, a living, breathing nation and given a place. Um, and of course they were given the place which the nation of Israel occupied before. Um, we, we're not really going to deal with the, the subject of the land this evening, That's a, uh, this afternoon. That's a whole other topic. Um, but the land figures very heavily in, in the promises which we, we read about to Abraham. Um, and it was impossible that, that the nation of Israel, when they were instituted, could have gone anywhere else. Um, there were plans afoot in 1948 to make the Jews a homeland in Ethiopia and in various other places. But Bible students knew that, that the only place that God would allow the the nation of Israel to be re-established was um, their old homeland, the, the place that they occupied in, in Bible times. Uh, and that's what we see, that's what happened in 1948, wasn't it? Uh, the nation of Israel came into existence. Seems a long time ago to me, but, but in the scheme of human affairs, not such a long time ago at all. Uh, and so the, the existence of the nation of Israel in fulfilment of, uh, of what God said to Ezekiel was going to happen is evidence the nation of Israel stands there today as witnesses to God and to his purpose to the fact that he is working with them but Ezekiel's prophecy occupies or kind of takes place in two stages because he said it where we where we read there um, in verse 8 that the sinews and the flesh came up upon them and the skin covered them above but there was no breath in them so you know, there was a body um, but there was no breath in it. It didn't really live. Uh, and there's a second stage in the prophecy. Verse 9. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that thee may live. Uh, uh, and so it's talking about the re-establishment of the nation of Israel happening in two parts. That first of all... Um, the nation was going to exist as a political reality and, and there was going to be a nation there. But they're devoid of God. They don't really have life in them. Um, it's a secular nation, a nation doing its own thing. Uh, and that's what we see now, isn't it? It's not a God-fearing nation by and large. It's not a, a, a nation um, that is responsive to, to God's word. Um, it's a nation that's interested in, in commerce and, uh, and in doing its own thing. Uh, and Ezekiel 37 is particularly exciting from that point of view because we can pinpoint exactly where we are. That we, um, currently, are somewhere between verse 8 and verse 9. Um, and we are awaiting what's going to happen in verse 9. Where God is going to, uh, again, work in human affairs in order to bring about a situation where the nation of Israel stop looking to themselves and look to God instead and become once more God's people and start to worship him um, we're looking for the spiritual um, reawakening of the nation of Israel having seen the, the material, the physical one um, 
and Ezekiel chapter 37 says it's going to happen. Um, that God is going to, to intervene in human affairs and he's going to, to do something to bring the nation of Israel back to him. Uh, and so we're bang up to date now then. Um, the nation of Israel today are as much a sign as ever they were of the purpose of God um, at work in the earth. Well then, come now into the New Testament. And I'd like to think once more uh, about Abraham, about um, the promise that was given to Abraham, about him having um, a great many descendants, a great nation that would come from him. Come to, come to Galatians, please. Galatians chapter 3. As part of the promises that were given to, to Abraham, although we didn't particularly read this verse, Abraham was promised that he would have a seed. Um, he would have uh, descendants. And uh, Galatians chapter 3 is just going to explore that a little bit for us. Come to Galatians 3 in verse 16, where we read, To Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. Um, that's, uh, you could go back and read that. As I say, we didn't look at those, that particular promise, but, but it's there in Genesis chapter 13. Um, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Uh, and he's going to make a point about exactly the wording that was used. You see, um, seed is something slightly ambiguous, isn't it? It's a word that can be either plural or singular. You know, I can have a handful of seed, um, and I could technically, although you probably wouldn't understand me to be meaning this, but technically, according to the English grammar, I could have one enormous seed in my hands, um, or I could have uh, a whole multitude of small seed, uh, because the word seed can be either singular or plural. Um, uh, and that's the point that's just being picked up here in Galatians, because he says, verse 16, the middle of the verse, he saith, not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, unto thy seed. He says, Abraham was going to have one seed in particular, um, uh, and he goes on to tell us who that is, which is Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was the particular seed descendant that Abraham was promised. Uh, and it was through him that, that Abraham's promises were going to be fulfilled. Now, why does this matter? Why is this important? Um, because, well, Abraham is the, the father of the nation of Israel. Um, uh, and you could well be forgiven for thinking that, that the existence of the nation of Israel as a, as a significant number of people fulfilled that promise that we read in Genesis chapter 12. But, but the exposition of Galatians says that that's not the case. Come on to, uh, to verse 20, 27. As many of you as have been baptised into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Um, the, the Apostle Paul here, by the Spirit, writing to the Galatians, says um, you know, there's no difference between the Jews, the natural physical descendants of Abraham, um, uh, and other people and Gentiles, um, that everybody has opportunity to become part of Abraham's family, to become Abraham's descendants. Verse 29. Um, then anybody can be Abraham's seed if... Uh, they are related to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism, verse 27 said. Um, uh, and if that is the case, then they also inherit all of the promises that were given to Abraham, and, uh, which have been passed down through his descendants. Well, come on now then to the epistle to the Romans. We'll come back, perhaps, I ought to say, rather than on. And let's go to Romans chapter 9. Because Romans chapter 9 picks up this idea um, that... 
that there is naturally um, there was no goodness um, in the nation of Israel as, as we've already said a number of times God didn't pick them because they were, they were particularly good they were selected through God's providence for this role um, that he had for them. And Galatians has said, therefore, they didn't have any, um, they were not saved of themselves, but they have the same opportunity as everybody else um, to obtain salvation, to, to enter into the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Paul now writing to the Romans um, says that that he's made sad because the Jews had rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 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 and we read in the Gospels, don't we, that it was Jewish opposition. It was the Jews who caused Jesus to be put to death. Um, that they have, uh, they had I I in the first century um, rejected Jesus and his message. They'd rejected the Gospel. And they still do, the Jews today, um, still reject that message. And Paul says that it makes him sad that verse uh, verse one, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart because his his countrymen, the uh, the people of Israel, um, are have cast themselves off, have cut themselves off from the promise that God has made to all people. But he says, verse six, not as though the word of God had taken none effect i.e. he says um, just because they've cut themselves off doesn't mean that, that God's purpose is frustrated remember we said earlier inadvertently the people of Israel are still um, fulfilling God's purpose um, that even though the nation as a whole have cut themselves off well they are not all Israel which are of Israel they are not all Israel which are of Israel uh, and so he's making a statement isn't he about the nature of Israel uh, and what he's saying is um, similar to what Galatians was saying, that not everybody who has a part in, in God's plan and purpose with his chosen people um, is naturally descended from Abraham. Not everybody um, is, an, is an Israelite or a Jew, uh, as the men and women would see them today. Um, but by, Galatians said, associating ourselves with the the work of the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism, we can have a part of um, God's plan with his chosen people. We, if you like, become members of what God would consider to be Israel. If you think about Israel now, not as a political, physical reality, but as an idea representing God's people, that those um, who have chosen to associate themselves with the work of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, they are of Israel, according to Romans. Uh, uh, and that Israel which we're talking about now is made up uh, of people like you and me, not Jews, uh, and also of Jews as well. Come on then into Romans chapter 11, um, the chapter that we had read by way of introduction, because this is explaining for us um, kind of the process of election, the process of, uh, uh, of how people come to be considered members of God's family, members of God's chosen people. Uh, and Paul says for us, doesn't he, in, in verse 11, I say then, ha uh, sorry, in verse 1 of chapter 11, I say then, hath God cast away his people? 
You know, has God completely done away with the nation of Israel um, after the flesh? Well, absolutely not. I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people which he foreknew. Um, Paul's point is um, that the basis for salvation for them is the same as everybody else. That There is opportunity for, for them um, to come on an individual basis, not just because they're Jews and say, um, we want a part in God's purpose because we're Jews, but because um, they can choose, just like everybody else, to associate themselves with the things of God through baptism and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul puts himself forward as an example of one who has done just that. But the, the Jews' rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ was necessary, wasn't it? And that's what he goes on to say. Um, verse 11 now. I say then, have they, the Jews, stumbled that they should fall? Uh, and he's referring really to, to their rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the persecution of, uh, of Christians. And that, that's made evident by some of the quotations that he makes in, in verse 9, um, uh, verse 9 and 10. He says, you know, this, this fact that they've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't mean that that's the end for them, not at all. Um, in fact, it was necessary through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Um, it was necessary that they should reject the Lord Jesus Christ to put him to death for his work to be completed. Um, And so God was using the nation of Israel to steer his purpose, not just for the benefit of Jews, but for the benefit of all people. Uh, And then he reaches this wonderful conclusion. Verse 12. If the fall of them be the riches of the world, i.e. if the Jews rejecting Jesus was, was a good thing for the rest of the world because it brought about salvation... And the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness be? Because, he says, verse 15, if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be? That there is going to be a time when the Jews turn back to God and accept the gospel message. And remember, that's what Ezekiel said was going to happen. They were going to be made spiritually alive as well. Um, uh, uh, and of course it's going to be on an individual basis like as we've been discussing but we believe from scripture um, that a large number of Jews will um, repent and will make that connection and will come uh, and uh, make that association with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God Uh, and so what will happen verse 26 all Israel will be saved all Israel, and that's harking back to what he said in chapter 9, isn't it? Not all, they are not all Israel who are of Israel. Um, that there is opportunity for everybody, no matter who they are, um, to be saved. Because the Lord is making a covenant, verse, 26, with all pe- uh, verse 27, with all people. Um, uh, and if we do choose to associate ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism, then... We can have, verse 27, our sins taken away. And we can have a place then in God's kingdom. And so the nation of Israel, uh, the nature of Israel is, is an important subject. The nation of Israel that we see today um, are testimony to the fact that God is working in, in the earth. And God is not finished working with them. They have an important role. Uh, but God's purpose extends beyond them, extends to everybody no matter who they are, so long as they come and read the Bible for themselves and understand God's message to them, then we can all have a place in uh, in that great hope 
which was promised to um, the fathers of that nation so long ago. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.